Hey, it's Lacey Broussard, and this is the Multi-Orgasmic Mama podcast. From sex and motherhood, birth and relationships, communication and intimacy building, and Taoism and Tantra, we explore topics such as self-care, self-pleasure, body image, jadex, the feminine cycles, creativity in business, and modern spirituality. The Multi-Orgasmic Mama is a place to come for true stories and transformational advice on how to be a mama and a multi-orgasmic woman too. Welcome to the Multi-Orgasmic Mama podcast. This morning we have April Klein. She's a midwife, body worker, and educator. So April, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. So I'm just wondering if you could introduce yourself to everyone. What do you do? <laughs> so I do a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats, but they all overlap. I work mostly with women in the childbearing year, but I also work with older women going through menopause. I work with uh, infants and I also work with men. So the things that overlap are the fact that we all have a body. Ah. <laughs> I know it's amazing. The fact that we all have bad habits of sticking unprocessed up into our bodies and leaving it there for later but somehow later never comes so that's the work that i do i work with people after the fact when things have gotten stuck and help them find ways to release it and get it out of their bodies because as you know in the work that you do you can't you can't experience ecstasy you can't experience flow you can't be in the moment and enjoying now when your body is stuck in what happened five years ago or 20 years ago or you're worried about what's coming tomorrow so that's the overarching work that i do i do the same kind of work when i educate because i'm trying to help people feel more comfortable in their bodies so when i educate midwives on how to conduct postpartum uh, visits or prenatal visits or how to be present in a birth all of that is with the intention of causing less traumatic incidents that will then get stored in the body yeah. when i educate people on hormone balancing which is the other big thing that i educate on i'm doing that with a specific eye towards helping people's bodies be calm and present and balanced and clean so that they can really enjoy being right where they are Wow, that's it sounds like I'm all over the place, but really the overarching purpose is all the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that you work with men too. I do. It started out as, you know, my husband needs to come see you. I think you could help him. And then word starts to trickle out. And it is not just a women's issue. It is not. It is anyone who has a body. Yeah. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that. Like, what do you actually do for people and what are people coming to you for? A lot of times people think they're coming to me for a good massage. Ah. And then you just sort of sneak in some of the other work. For real, it sounds silly to say it like that, but the truth is you can get straight body work, right? And it can be really powerful. Just moving the muscles, just moving the the soft tissue can release a lot of things but what seems to happen and i suppose that a lot of it's just that i have this intent this intention is that when people come in my door they immediately feel uh, safe and calm 
and they see me and they see that I'm happy being who I am in my body and they want that. I've had people literally say to me, I want what you have and I don't know how to get it. Can you help me? So you can be your own good walking advertisement, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I get that a lot as well. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. But, but you you can do a, a very straightforward bodywork session. But what I tend to do with new people who think that they're just coming to work out a tight muscle is help them get into a relaxed state, which isn't hard to do when you're getting a nice massage. Yeah. And then I will I'll feel what's happening in the body. And I can, at this point, after 16 plus years of doing this, I'm pretty good at figuring out if it's just straight up tension from a habitual posture or poor sleeping habits or driving or things like that, or whether there's an emotional component. And I can say, so I'm getting a feeling here in the spot in your back. And, and I'm wondering if you'd like to hear what, what I'm getting. And, and it's very rare that someone will say no. You know, people, people like to, to know what, what you think is going on with them. Mm -hmm. There's a reason we like horoscopes and, you know, we yeah. want insights. So I will then just lob out something really gentle and see what the response is. And if the response is open hearted, then we can start to dive in a little bit. And then the, the sessions can shift after that. Uh, occasionally people get frightened, right? They see that Pandora's box sort of the lid starting to go up and they're like, oh no, slam that down. I am not going there. Yeah. It's rare. Usually the people that find me tend to be people that are, we call them the low hanging fruit, right? Like the ripe peach that's just waiting for someone to, to pluck them down and help them unpack all of that old junk. So that's who I mostly get coming through my doors are those beautiful ripe peaches that just need someone to point them the direction to start to unleash all of this stuff that they've been carrying for years. And it's heavy, heavy stuff, right? Yeah. So that is one thing that I've been thinking about since you sent me the questions is about, well, so the conversation about PTSD, for instance, is so common now. And people will say, oh, I'm totally PTSD about that. Or I, I totally have traumatic disorder over that. And the response is often sort of to brush it off or to think the person's being hypersensitive or, well, you don't really know, you didn't get diagnosed or, and what I, what I wanna say about that is that trauma is in the eye of the traumatized. Yeah. Trauma is only gauged, the only correct measurement for trauma is from the traumatized person. So what you think of as a traumatic experience may have nothing to do with what I think is a traumatic experience. For instance, my younger daughter is a very sensitive person and I can go in and I can have an annoyance that all of her clean clothes that I just folded, not that this has ever happened, all of her clean clothes that I just washed and folded and put in her room are now put back in the dirty clothes because she didn't take time to put them away. And she will read my very modulated annoyance. I'm like, really? Are we doing this now? And she will read that as me yelling at her. 
because she's so sensitive. Yeah. Another daughter, it would, it would be like, she barely heard me. Right. So I just wanted to make that, that point that as, as care providers, especially, I think we need to really take note that what we do is extremely powerful. Every word that comes out of our mouths, every thought that we even think, which is then projected through how we speak and how we hold our bodies can be potentially traumatic for certain people. Yeah. I, I think that's so interesting. That brings up such a great conversation is that when women experience issues in their sexuality, a lot of times it's linked to some sort of trauma. Mm-hmm. And the definition of what we think trauma is and what it actually is are usually two completely different things. Sexual trauma isn't just uh, an advert thing that, that goes on like that. It's also like I consider experiencing sexual trauma from a lens of I was taught so much guilt and shame around my body mm-hmm. that that turned into trauma because I'm a highly sensitive person too. So like you were saying, like your daughter is very sensitive and maybe you weren't yelling at her, but she might've taken it to be that way. That's kind of how it happened for me. I was so shut down sexually. I felt like I couldn't be free. I like, I couldn't express myself the way I wanted to express myself because I had so much shame and just that, that, really uptight religious conservative upbringing that I came into, it was just hammered and in my psyche that your body is something that's, you know, it's, it's gross. You, you know, you, it's dirty. Um, It's not okay to be naked. Like I got that message a lot. Trauma can happen and more than just, you know, an advert thing. It's also, it, it can also be a subtle thing like that as well. So I'm thankful that you brought that up because I think it's important for people to hear that. I think shame is a really powerful tool yeah. that some people use purposefully and some people use inadvertently, but it's, it's powerful and it's a way to keep us down. And the effect of it in our bodies is that it completely shuts us off. Yeah. So my early understandings from the church that I was brought up in was that the spirit was good and the body was bad. So the church that I was raised in was pretty strict. We weren't allowed to have pierced ears. We weren't allowed to wear flashy clothes. We weren't allowed to dance. Um, School dances were forbidden. So we weren't allowed to even see movies. And the underlying message was that our bodies were a pathway to evil, really. I mean, not to put it too bluntly, but that was the feeling that I came away with. I am a sensitive person, but that was a pretty clear message. Yeah. And the emphasis should be on the mind and the, and the spirit and not on the body. And there's also a not so subtle undertone that women's bodies are really the problem. Women's bodies are bad, but women's bodies are really the problem. I'll tell you this whole me too thing. The part of this conversation that I am the happiest about, there are many things that I'm happy about, but the thing that I am the happiest about with that is that we are shifting the point of view. 
I am seeing people catching how we phrase things that I have been thinking for years and now everyone seems to be seeing it. It is not. All right. So even my 16 year old, here's a good example. My 16 year old came home and told me that at school they were uh, cracking down on the girls for wearing straps on their shirts, like just strapped shirts. So the cute little shirts that show the shoulders or tank toppy kind of shirts, anything that showed shoulders was now forbidden because you can hear it coming, right? It was distracting the boys. Oh yeah. We have that going on with my, my stepdaughter's school as well. And I've been in multiple conversations with their principal and the school board. I want to hear about that. I, I was proud of myself. I didn't go off and start railing. I said, so what do you think about that? Yeah. And I was so impressed with her and it made happy. Even that the boys can't maintain their own ability to study and look at their books if I'm wearing a shirt that shows my shoulders. So basically she's saying that's not my problem, right? Yeah. So that's that's the shift in conversation that I'm thrilled to hear because as my daughter also said, aren't women 51% of the population? And I say, yes. And she says, well, aren't we the ones that tend to raise the boys? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, I guess we're not doing a very good job if this is still an issue. She's a very smart and wise girl. I like her. I know, right? But it is so true. We're not, we're not changing that quick enough in my estimation. Oh, goodness. What? I've totally changed the way that I brought my girls up. They, they're so, I don't want to say blasé, but it's just not a conversation point. What their bodies look like, what they wear, they want to look nice, but it's not a huge conversation. You know, they get their cycles and it's like, for them it has been sort of a non-point because it's just what you do. It's just what your bodies do. Right. It's just all really matter of fact. I really like matter of fact around issues of sexuality and body stuff. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. I'll do it. 51% of us have cycles. Right. (laughs) Yep. So So let's talk about how connecting to your body and your ability to connect to your body affects your sexuality. (laughs) I, I hear so many women talk about how there's numbness or they just don't feel anything like that's a really rampant issue and it it has a lot to do with not being able to connect with your body like you're completely in your head all the time or there's something blocking you from having that connection because it doesn't feel safe or something going on like that so i'm i'm curious to hear what you have to say about that so the the common thinking is if something doesn't feel good you want to avoid it right Mm -hmm. And I do think that that's a big part of it. If your body doesn't feel good, if you've drunk the Kool-Aid that your body has hips that are too big or thighs that touch or God forbid, or I mean, my goodness, we even have plastic surgery for labia now. Oh God. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> and collagen injections because goodness knows she doesn't look cute enough. You know, she needs some collagen injections. Yeah. So you know, let's just go back to the matter of fact, like women's 
reproductive organs change over the course of their life. It's not a static thing. And um, I, I would hope that we could embrace that as a society, but not there yet. Yeah. So that's the common thinking that if you're not happy, if it doesn't feel good, you don't want to go there. And I do think that's a big part of it. But the other part of it, I think, is even more important to have a conversation about, which is if it feels really good, you don't want to go there. Yeah. I love, right. that. I love that you pointed that out. Right. And that's a power issue. Yeah. That's a woman standing in their own power issue. And we, yeah. as you have pointed out earlier in this conversation, we have been trained very carefully. And again, I say some of it's purposeful and some of it is not. Some of it's just ingrained in our societal mores, right? Mm -hmm. But some of it is purposeful. It's a way of controlling little girls. Yep. And this huge stigma of little girls and young girls and young women who are sexual is still, it's still as deeply entrenched as it ever was. Absolutely. We're picking at the edges of it, but that's why I so resonated with your call to talk about this because we are all going to have to stand up and claim this feels good. My body is amazing. Look what my body can do rather than look what my body looks like. We're all going to have to do that and hold our arms out for our sisters next to us who aren't quite strong enough to do it yet so that they can start to stand up and do it or it's not going to shift. Yeah. So it's that it's, it's a, it's a catch 22. There's no winning. You don't want to go into your body. It's a catch 22 because you can't win. You don't want to go into your body because it feels bad or you think it looks bad or you're afraid of being judged by yourself or your partner or that them. And you don't want to go there because it feels really good and that's scary as heck. Yep. What could you unleash? Yes. Yes. Only your ecstatic multi-orgasmic potential. I mean, hello. I know, right? <laughs> you would think we would all be lining up for that, but right. we're not. We're completely terrified of our own potential and power to feel pleasure and ecstasy. And, and what happens when we're scared? We freeze. Yep. That's what we do as animals. That's what we do. Yeah. Think about, think about an animal. Think about a deer. If there's um, a predator or a potential threat, what does the deer do? It goes completely still. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you look into it at all, you find that the heart almost stops beating so that a predator can't hear it as easily. Their breathing slows down or stops. Their scent comes down which is amazing to me. They, they can actually lower the amount of scent that they put out so that the predator will be less likely to find them. We do the same thing. The sad thing is that we have internalized this whole notion that our powerful sexuality is, is a threat. And we freeze, which is the opposite, as you well know, the opposite of what we're looking for. We're looking for flow. Yes. Right? We're looking for more scent. We're looking for more movement. We're looking for more bigger, more obvious. <laughs> it's all of the things that you don't want if you're frightened and, and worried about being predated, right? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of the work that I do with women one-on-one mm-hmm. is completing that stress cycle. Um, mm-hmm. and all of that comes from the work of Peter Levine. And yes. Oh, he's amazing. Hulk. Um, both of those, these doctors are, you know, have a lot of uh, research that they did on trauma and uh, with so much sexual shame and guilt and mm-hmm. you know, trauma in general that it's almost everyone has experienced some level of sexual trauma, mm-hmm. uh, even if you don't realize it. And mm-hmm. that it's what keeps women from experiencing and being able to go into that flow state and to their multi-orgasmic potential and to their ecstasy and, and complete joy. And it do- if it doesn't feel safe, you can't go there. So the way that you release that is by really allowing to go into that fear Mm -hmm. and being able to release that, that block that's keeping you there. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that you pointed that out because animals, when they get threatened, they'll shake and they'll, they'll go crazy and wild to like brush it off and shake it off. Yes. Yes. But we don't allow ourselves to do that because obviously it's not like appropriate to go you know, shake and scream and, and go crazy whenever somebody says something negative about our body, you know, so you can't always do that. So doing it in a, a controlled environment, like working one-on-one with someone like you or I, um, you can allow yourself to complete that stress cycle and to get past that, that block so that you can allow yourself to experience multi-orgasmic and ecstasy states. Yeah. Wonderful. I do really want to say how much I appreciate your emphasis on shame. And I would also add non-communicativeness, right? We all learn all of these things from somewhere. Yeah. So when I teach sex ed to younger kids and middle schoolers, I always say to the parents that are concerned about their kids coming to the class, they're going to learn it from somewhere. You know it all, right? Do you know what fellatio is? Well, of course. Well, where did you learn it? I don't remember. Probably from a friend. Yeah. And I was like, is that how you want your children to internalize these really, really foundational concepts? Is I don't remember, or maybe from a friend who probably didn't even have accurate information. Wouldn't you rather have them learn it in a matter-of-fact, clean, unemotionally entangled way? Yeah. I know that's such an issue. And I, I have a fourth grader and a sixth grader. So I hear from so many parents talking about like, Oh my God, they're asking me questions and I don't know how to respond. What do I say? And I'm like, why wouldn't you talk to them about the most important thing that humans experience? Mm -hmm. Like they don't even want to talk about it because of their own shame around it. And it's so, so sad because, you know, I can't, I can't help, I I can't help them right then and there work through their own issues with being able to talk to their kid about their sexuality, you know, but it is. Maybe you can help them see that it's not something that needs to be perpetuated down to the next generation. How did that work for you? I mean, that's one thing that I have found some success with is how, how has that worked for you? I love that. That's great. And they'll say, well, I'm fine. And I'll say, except you don't you don't feel good talking to your kid about it. So there must be something there that doesn't feel fine or it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that it's the same as teaching 
any skill, right? The same as how do you use a toilet? How do you learn to walk? How do you learn to drive a car? Which is the one we're in the middle of now. <sighs> I'm, I'll be honest with you, let's see. I'm having a way harder time with the solo driving than I am about sexual stuff. I have been there and I will vouch for the same mama. Yes. Teaching. Oh my gosh. I, was I literally fun. have to shake myself when she leaves in the car to just like try to move that, that fear out of my body. Yeah. Way scarier to me than any of the other stuff that freaks most people out. I know. I so know. <laughs> Feel ya. So yeah, the shaking thing is really powerful. And I did, I did figure that out with people on my table. And then I found the work of of Levine and I was so grateful to have it um you know validated by research because this was just sort of a trial and error thing that I was finding was working for me and then it's like oh look at me I figured that out but yeah it's so grounded in research and it's a really easy technique to do and profoundly powerful so specificity i find to be a really powerful tool in birth and it's something that i have brought back to my bodywork table and when i say that i, I want to give you an example so a woman is in labor and she's beginning to be overwhelmed by the surges she has been working with them pretty well up to this point but now they're getting more powerful and it's scary as heck and it's because she's not living in that exact moment, right? She's thinking about all of the ones she's lived through to this point. She's thinking about how bad the ones that are coming are going to be and how much worse is it going to get. And now she's not breathing well. And now she's starting to go into that traumatized lockdown state. Yeah. I can't do this. I'm not big enough to do this. This is overwhelming me. And a tool that I have found really powerful in that situation is tell me what you're feeling. And she'll say, I'm just overwhelmed. I, I, I can't even catch my breath. They're just so, so big. And, and I'm like, no, I want you to be really specific with me what you're feeling. Where are you feeling this feeling? Yeah. And she's like, I don't know, in my belly. And I'm like, can you show me exactly where? And she'll say, well, it's kind of like right here. And then she'll go, you know, and then she engages on a mental level, which feels comfort comforting, right? Because we're used to that. We're safe there. We're safe in our mind. So she engages on a mental level to figure out where in her body she's feeling what. And she'll say, well, I feel, I feel it here. I can't catch my breath. I'm, and I say, so you have a weight sitting on your chest. I said, that's very uncomfortable. Can we shift that some way? And then she goes, but it's also really in my belly. And it's just so incredibly painful. And I'm like, what does the pain feel like? Is it tightening? Is it pressure? Is it a stabbing pain? Is it an aching pain? Hmm, well, I hadn't thought about that. And then she starts to drill down and name exactly what she's feeling in her body. And when you actually, as you know, when you look the fear head on, when you look the pain in the eyes, it loses a lot of its power. Yeah. Just in that simple exercise. Yeah. So that simple tool, and I use that with myself too. So going back to the driving example, where, where do I feel that fear in my body when my daughter drives off in the car by herself? Here. It's here. I, right in my throat. And then I can, I can talk to my throat and say, it's okay. This is a natural process. Yes, it's scary. She's getting bigger. She's moving away from you literally and figuratively. That's really sad and really scary. And changing this relationship is hard. 
Yeah. And I can therapize myself through feeling what I really am feeling rather than just this big lump of feeling that shuts me down. And now I can move and I can maybe let some tears come through or I can breathe out a big sigh. The breath is such a huge part of connection with body. Mm-hmm. Right? If you move air in and out, you can't be static anymore. Yeah, I love that process that you just described. It's so beautiful. So find something specific and then move the specific thing rather than being bowled over and thrown to the bottom of the ocean under the giant wave. <sighs> yeah, and what, when I do this on myself, when I, when I recognize fear, I, do, I go through the same process. And, you know, as body workers and doing what we do in the work that we do, we've gotten to a point where we can do this on ourselves, but sometimes it's too much to like navigate on your own. You need somebody to like to guide you through it. But every now and then, like it's, it's something that I can manage on my own, which I think is one of the most amazing things about this work is that it teaches you how to, to manage your yourself. Like you don't need someone all the time to help manage your own emotions and feelings. And so, so one thing that I'll do is I'll go into the fear or that whatever sensation that's mm-hmm. a contraction or a constriction and I'll ask it, what do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you need? Yeah. yeah. Speak and, to it like it's a person. Yeah. And what is your purpose? Yeah. Why are you here? Yeah. And often that will completely dispel it or it'll totally make sense why I'm feeling it or what's going on. So yeah, that's, mm-hmm. Standing makes things less scary for sure. Yeah. yeah. I talk to my clients all the time about mind, body, and spirit because I think that was such a missing thing for me. Like we talked about when I was growing up, mm-hmm. they were all separate, right? They were supposed to live in separate rooms and one room you definitely weren't supposed to even open the door on. Yep. But I like them all in the same room. So I talk about the fact that they all move very differently though. And most of us are very comfortable with the way one moves and less with the other two. So for most of us, our minds are very facile, right? They're very fast. You can, you can create a reality in your mind that that's so real. Like now, I mean, we could create anything we wanted right now with our minds and it's there. So super fast. Our emotions are a little bit slower, but pretty quick too but our bodies are really slow, right? Our bodies, I think of our bodies as kind of like toddlers. They are a little obstinate. They don't get things very quickly. Their whole purpose in life is to make sure that we survive. That's really their whole MO. And they don't care about much else. Maybe they care about pleasure. Maybe they care a little bit about a few, but mostly they care about us surviving. Yes. So that's often at odds with our emotional self and definitely regularly at odds with our mental selves. So what do most people do? Over time, they put, when I work on someone and they have this issue, it literally feels like a steel plate right across here. So there's a ton of hot moving energy up here. And then somewhere in the neck or shoulders, it's like it just stops. There's just nothing from there down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
the work that you're describing is the work that that you do then you you help people recognize that that energy is stopping and that that's not a healthy thing mm -hmm. it's actually creating a, a space for illness and and chronic issues in the body because you have no idea what's going on you're not receiving the messages your body is your best messenger if you're willing to listen yeah, so yeah. You move that energy down into the body the best that you can and you bring people's attention to places and you teach them what you just said. You teach them to talk with their bodies. What is this for? Well, I don't know why it's there. It's always there. I, I've never been able to lift my arm above shoulder height since I was like 18 years old. Well, that's so interesting to me. What do you think your body's telling you with that? Well, I don't know. It's just annoying. It's horrible. I wish I could fix it, but I'm not going to go get surgery. Well, maybe there's something important there or it wouldn't still be there. You know, things don't stay around for no reason. If they're not, they're not going to stay. So then you start to have the conversation about the fact that she feels very inflexible or she feels like every time that she would raise her hand in class, this is actually an example, which seems so it just seems so overly obvious that it's laughable, but literally she got in trouble every time she raised her hand in class. Yeah, clearly. I know. It's sort of like Louise Hay, right? Like it's just what? so tit and tat, like cut and dry and overly obvious that you don't even want to believe it, but it's laughably correct. Absolutely. She's, she's not going to raise her hand anymore. She's not going to draw attention to herself. Yeah, and, and internalized, and her body is over here desperately flapping around, trying to wake her up to this issue that should be resolved so that she can become more who she is and more powerful. Yes. Yep, the body keeps the score and never forgets. It, it does not, and it will keep harassing you louder and louder. And my brother calls it the cosmic two by four. He says, first, you get the tap on the shoulder. We talk about this all the time. I'm like, are we going to get this lesson from the tap on the shoulder or are we going to get smacked in the face with the cosmic two by four? Right. So is it going to take surgery to wake you up? Is it going to take cancer to wake you up? I'm not saying that we bring cancer on ourselves, but I do think that we create situations that are ripe for those types of things to happen by not being in our bodies. Yeah. By not paying attention and creating stagnant energy. That's what cancer is. It's yeah. so, so much stagnation from so much ignoring things and ignoring what's going on. And then there's the opposite extreme, which is being so in our bodies and so in this present moment that we are beyond powerful and, and ecstatic. Yeah. Yes, which takes a lot of, of feeling of reassuring <laughs> that it's safe to be in your body because most of us are taught everything but. And when I started to learn how safe it was mm. that my body is actually a protector, like mm. it can protect me. Um, because most of us get the message that, you know, our bodies are a target, right? Like how could they be the protector if people are the ones, uh, coming at us and saying things about us or, um, we're like a target, you know, mm -hmm. but I started to really believe, and I think I always had this inherent belief and I don't know where it came from, mm -hmm. but that my body was 
was a thing that could keep me safe and that the more I stayed in it, the safer I would be. Mm. And I really experienced that in the birth of my first son, which was an unassisted birth mm. by choice. Mm -hmm. it, it really assured, reassured me of that belief that, you know, the more that I could be in my body, I could listen to my intuition. And my intuition kept telling me over and over, this is how my son needed to be born. This is what, what I needed to do. And I could not ignore it. Like it was so strong, that hit of like, you, this is what needs to happen. Like you do not need to go to the hospital. You don't even need a midwife there. Like, and not everyone, some people could tell me that that's foolish or that that's, that's just crazy. And you know what? I agree. I, I, birth is crazy. You never know what's going to happen. But you never know what's ever going to happen. Right. I could not ignore that hit that no. this is what I needed to do. Well, you could have, but it would have not gone well. Yeah. Most likely. And yeah. instead, I'm sure it was an incredible experience. It was. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, that that whole experience really solidified to me in my mind that it's safe to be inside of your body. It's safe to go into the fear when it comes up. And that eventually it leads you into that place of intuition and instinct that we all crave, that freedom of being able to, to just feel so grounded and so alive. Like I had never felt so alive in my life apart from the the 23 years before until I had my son and being, you know, in that experience. And it just, it was such a life-changing experience for me that it, it changed everything. So you when, I mean, you're like a microcosm story, right? Of why we as a society don't want people to do that. Yeah. Because what you learned is you don't need anyone else. <laughs> right. Yes. How do you make money off of someone that doesn't need anything from you? Right. How do you, how do you make that person be a good girl and fit into society? You know? Yeah. So have you read any of Clarissa Pinkola Estes work? Yes. Running mm -hmm. with the wolves is one of my favorites. <laughs> I mean, this is her whole thing, right? She, she says that we've lost our connection to our wild selves. And that's really what that is, is, we do need people, we do need connection, but not in the way that is profitable always. We need connection that's separate from that. It's a different type of connection that's not monetizable. Mm -hmm. And that's the antithesis of how our whole society is set up. So those people that have no interest in that work or in living in that way, have every vested interest in making sure that those of us that do are marginalized or made out to be bad or witches or. <laughs> yes. I call it the modern witches. I am a modern witch. <laughs> oh my gosh. So my sister-in-law lives in Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, yes. There's a witch museum there that I had never taken my girls to. And we finally went last year when we came through town and, we came out and 
And they they both were like, Mama, it's a good thing you didn't live back then. You so would have been a witch. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh my God, same here. <laughs> I so would have would have been killed plenty of times. The truth is really, and this may sound overly dramatic, you may not think so, but the truth is we still are being killed. We're still, we're walking dead, but we're still dead. We're not being drowned perhaps, or burned at the stake, but on a psychic level we are. I mean, that death is a disconnection from the body, right? And that's happening every single day, every minute of every day for women, for little girls and for little boys and, and men too. Yeah. But the more you and I talk about this and get this word out to other people, the less that that's going to happen. And the more that we realize that actually, you know, being inside of your body, connecting to your instinct intuition is the, the very things that we shame and are most afraid of are the things that we most crave and desire and want. We want that primal, free, wild sexual experiences. We want those primal, wild, and free birth experiences. We want all of this amazing, all of these amazing things. Yet, it's the things that we're most afraid of, most scared of, and that we would never, ever allow ourselves to go there because it's not acceptable. We're not going to get loved. We're not going to belong. And people are going to think we're freaking crazy and that we're witches or, you know, some crazy shit. But that's the weird dichotomy, right? Because that's the body. The body's role is to make sure that we're not put out of the community because what happens when you're put out of community? You die. Yeah. Right. If you're, if you're drummed out of the circle and put out, you'll freeze to death. Yeah. Picked out of shred. Mm -hmm. So the very, the very vehicle to take us to this connection, this deep connection to self, to another, to our most vibrant beings is also the exact thing that's telling us, you better not do that. <laughs> You're going to get drummed out. But that's not our problem. That's not our fault. That's the society that we live in's fault. And that's why sisterhood is so freaking important. That's but why. Mirror, you've got, oh my gosh, I say this to my clients all the time. If you are feeling like you're doing something bad or wrong, you need a new mirror. Yeah. You need, you need a mirror like me who says, oh my gosh, you are amazing. Yeah. Look at you. Look at you. You are so brave. You just took that deep breath when you thought there was no way you could do it. That's a huge, that's a huge step into claiming your power. Oh, all I did was take a breath. No, but I felt it clear down into your toes. I haven't felt you take a breath like that ever before. That's amazing. That's the first step down an amazing path. Yeah. Yeah. Find a new mirror. Oh, I love that. Yes. Find a new mirror. Find, 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 a, new stick, find a new mirror and that's the other thing that's scary, right? If you start to step into this powerful place, the people that are closest to you may not like it. Yeah. I've, I've literally had clients say to me, if I, if I keep going down this path, I'll end up divorced. Yeah. And I don't want to be divorced. I've had people tell me that God hates divorce. Yeah. I've had people tell me that they won't be able to survive if they continue down this path. And 
I've had experiences where I have felt so clearly, I'm not a medical intuitive, but occasionally it's just so powerfully, overwhelmingly strong. This person's at a, at a tipping point where they will head down into serious physical illness if they don't shift it right now. Yeah. So, I feel that too. Yeah. That's a deep, deep, deep commitment to your truth, to mm -hmm. the truth of who you are. Mm -hmm. That will change the way that we treat other women and the whole stream. It only gets passed down mm -hmm. because no one says anything different. And that's why we're sitting here today having this conversation because I refuse. It is this deep commitment to my own truth that I refuse to say anything. It doesn't happen anymore. Yep. Yeah. Yay. Amen, sister. <laughs> on that big time. Yeah. I'm really okay. glad you're doing this. Thank you. Yeah. So I have one more question for you. Okay. And this is a question I ask everyone. Okay. So if you could give one piece of advice or one tip about being a multi-orgasmic mama. Well, <laughs> wow, just one? Or two, if you have them. <laughs> well, we've woven it through this whole amazing conversation. Get really specific. Feel, really feel exactly what you're feeling. Try not to give in to the tug of... You know, martyrdom is really not sexy. No. And that pull of, well, I did so much more than you did today. And I've been cleaning dirty butts and cat poop and dishes. And here I am. And now you want sex from me. You know, let's shift that. Let's change that point of view to, I want to feel something good. I want to reconnect with my body. And this is a really beautiful way I can do it. It's not giving someone something. It's releasing into feeling. So feel what you feel. If you are in a place where you've been giving all day and you can't abide the thought of taking in one more thing, don't take them in. If you're with a man, don't take them in. But say, I just want to feel with you. Can we take some time and just feel together? And then really feel. And I, I can't imagine that if you really feel what you're feeling, you won't find that you're getting turned on and that you're becoming much more present and in that exact moment instead of back at the sink full of dirty dishes. And that's such a gift to give to yourself. I'd rather end my day that way than going to bed angry about the dirty dishes and the cat poop, personally. Hell yeah. Allow yourself to feel whatever you're feeling. You know, accepting where you're at is like the first step to like getting what you want, right? My husband will be the first to tell you that sex often <coughs> for me. Start moving. It and includes what? Tears. Tears, yes, yes. And he's down with that. Like, at first he thought it was kind of odd. But then he's like, oh, everything's just moving. Yeah. Moving. I think tears are a really beautiful way to move things out. Absolutely. I feel lucky that I'm with someone who gets that. And... I don't get weirded out by it anymore and I don't feel like I have to perform or look the part or I can just be and and often the way that things move through me is through tears. So 
Yeah, that's so beautiful that you have that sort of relationship because I know that's something that many women crave is just to be accepted and help and whatever emotion that they're in. And it seems to me that there are some men that can't handle that. And it's really sad because women do express emotion and, and maybe more ranges because it's been acceptable for women to do so and not so much for men. Um, but yeah, my husband used to work offshore. And so he would be away for two or three weeks at a time. And when he'd come home, it was, it was like a given that I would probably cry the entire time we would make love for the first time when he'd come home because it's just such, it's the state I was in. It's like, Tears of joy, tears of, oh my God, I'm so sad, but tears, I'm so happy that you're home, but, you know, just all mixed together. Yeah. Just the fact that he could hold me in that and not freak out or not try to stop them, which was a huge thing because it's like, yeah. you want to cry, you want to cry. You don't want somebody to tell you to stop, you know? Um, it's so healing to be held and in whatever state that you come in, you know, mm -hmm. as you are, and mm -hmm. accepted and love too. So. We should all be so lucky. Yeah. And we can totally do it for ourselves if our partners aren't able or willing. And I am a big believer that what we give to ourselves is what we start to demand to be given from others. So practice it on yourself, practice it with yourself. I mean, I, I have not had an experience where this isn't true. What you start to get back from other people will rise to meet it. Yes. Yes. I love that. Well, thank you so much, April. This has been an amazing, deep, 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 deep conversation. Yeah, second of it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome.